Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Uh, this is your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. Uh, I'm part of this team. Um, I love that song uh, for so many reasons. Um, part of it is like looking around this room and knowing so many of y'all's stories and uh, the reality and the truth of a song like that. And uh, so uh, as an encouragement, um, and this is just an add-on, I didn't plan to say this, but as an encouragement, um, if you have been through something, like songs like that become this constant reminder of just who God is in your life and uh, celebrating that reality when you're going through difficult times and, and understanding that he doesn't ever fail you. And um, part of your story is uh, tied into how God provides and, and his beauty. If you're going through something hard, um, there's this other song um, by this guy named Torin Wells who, who talks about like if you don't see the good in it yet, that God's not done with you yet. And, uh, and so even if you're in like a difficult time, it doesn't make something that you're going through good in and of itself, um, but that God wants you to see his goodness in the midst of all of that, um, just as an encouragement here this morning. Um, we are in uh, this Revelation uh, series, but before I get into that, uh, next week, uh, Joe is our executive pastor, and next week is his favorite week of the year. Uh, it is not Christmas, um, but it kind of is Christmas to him, and uh, um, because it's our share offering. And so um, I've never seen someone become so maniacal over uh, numbers uh, than uh, when we do our share offering. And so uh, if you're not familiar with the share offering, uh, we do this every single year. We started this when we first started, and uh, we... Um, essentially ask everyone to give one day's wage, all right? And so I have like a little um, picture here of what that can look like for you. Uh, so if you make whatever money is listed up there, or if you make more or less, whatever, you can do math, um, especially if you make more than anything listed there. And, uh, and so um, there, what we do is we, we ask everyone to, to participate. Now, you may be in a situation where you're like, man, I can't do one day's because I'm just pressed up against it for whatever reason there is. And I, life happens, okay? Just do something, something. And, uh, but if you can do one day's wage, do it. If you can do more than one day's wage, do it. If you're like, man, I could do a week, do a week, all right? And um, this is above and beyond what we uh, normally give. And so um, this is like a sacrificial kind of giving. So if you give consistently, this is above and beyond that. Um, if you don't give consistently, a lot of times what happens is the share offering becomes like the, the starter moment for you to kind of get involved and start giving consistently. And so uh, what we do uh, with this offering is we have um, uh, a bunch of partners that we work with throughout the city and uh, actually work internationally as well, but primarily here in the Richmond area. Uh, and, and we focus in a lot of doing work with Next Generation. Um, and so uh, we work with a bunch of different partners and we'll list those out this week. And we've got some stories from some of our partners that we'll show uh, next week uh, on the day. But um, we take all the money that comes in and we just give it all away to them and bless them. And um, the money that comes in, like I'm telling you, helps thousands of people. Um, there are some of these organizations that are, are waiting for the share offering day um, because they know as one of our partners it infuses life into uh, their ministry and it's an incredible way to come together and uh, tell a different story here in the city about uh, what a church can do. And so uh, like last year, again, I can't remember the exact amount. I think I was a little off last time, but uh, I think it's like between two hundred fifty and $260,000 just came in that we gave away over the one offering, right? So um, every year we have gone up. So I'm just saying. And so um, uh, we, uh, and so I, I want us all like 100% participation. Does everyone get that? 
Yes, yes. All right. So, um, and then, and, and I promise you, uh, you think your amount doesn't make that big of a difference, but you wait and see what happens. Um, it is pretty cool to watch when everyone gets involved and how things just start like piling on top of each other. It's really great. So um, we're going to kick that off uh, next Sunday. So we're in this Revelation series that, again, if you're here at the worship night uh, last um, Sunday, uh, which was phenomenal, um, by the way. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been to one of our all-in nights, man, you're missing out. I'm just telling you. Um, it's just different. It's just different. And um, it is uh, it's really, uh, it's an amazing time together, but I, I said, um, literally only God knows when this series is going to end, and so I don't, um, I don't know yet, um, we're hopefully by uh, Thanksgiving maybe, um, but um, we are in the last letter uh, to the churches here today, to the church at Laodicea, and we'll get into that in a second, um, but if you're just hopping in today, um, you won't be lost, like we're, you'll clue right into this letter, but just as a quick recap, we've been looking at the last book of the Bible, which is called Revelation, which uh, isn't um, only about what God's going to do in the end. It's about what God has done in the past. Um, it's about discipleship. It's about what it looks like to live your faith out in the present. Um, and that's what this letter was, was for. And we always have to remember that um, if a first, uh, a first century listener would have been taking this letter in, all right? So, so if it meant something to them then, it means something to us now. It doesn't mean something different now than it did then, okay? So it's important to, to read it in that way. Um, they weren't thinking back then 2,000 years ago, man, I can't wait for America to get here. Like, they had no idea, right, about America. And so you've got to see it through uh, the lens of a first century um, Christian. And, uh, and the phrase that we've been using uh, every single week um, is this, right? What is it? Before I pull it up. Yes. Stay grounded. The gospel works. Thank you, John Horna, for carrying the weight of that for everyone else in here. And... Uh, um, but stay grounded that the gospel works. Um, you know, so often uh, we can get overwhelmed by what we see in front of us, uh, the way uh, things are happening around us. Uh, again, even right now, you know, you see um, uh, there's a, a fragility to what's happening in the Middle East right now, right? Um, here's the, the comforting part of that. I know this might sound weird. It's been that way for thousands of years, literally ever since Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac, Okay. And so it, it's, been, uh, it's been fragile, um, and there's just a reality there. Uh, and so, um, but we, we understand that in, in the midst of all of that, it's important to, to understand this point. That like, do we just stay grounded like the gospel works? Is Jesus going to come back someday? Yeah. Okay, he will. Like, he's going to, like, write all this stuff, right? Um, but until that day comes, just stay grounded. Like, this message of Jesus works. And that's what um, John is continuously uh, pointing to us. And, like, there's a narrative around us. There's a culture around us that, um, that we are born into, and we can't even control some of it sometimes. Uh, but the, the narrative and the hype around what is going on in the world, it's like, man, just stay grounded in the reality and the truth of Jesus. Like, it works. It works. Even when I was talking about the share offering, you realize, like, like one of the teachings of Jesus about the generosity, it's like, man, if all the Christians just were like irrationally generous, we'd change the world. Like just through Christians, we could end world poverty and like um, and the water shortage for people in the world. We could literally do it tomorrow with Christians if we wanted to. And so it's like the teachings of Jesus work. Like they just work. And so it's like just stay grounded in it and, and everything's going to be uh, okay. Um, I want you guys to take, off your, take out your phone. I want a little um, crowd participation uh, today. And so we do this every once in a while. And um, 
you're going to see um, something come up on the screen here for, for this service. So you go to menti.com, and uh, the code there is 5526-2200. So go to menti.com, 5526-2200. I like to do these uh, little word clouds, like here and there, um, just so you guys uh, get involved in the sermon. Um, and again, just as a reminder, um, don't be the person that puts something inappropriate because you think it's funny. Um, could just be annoying. So uh, um, there's a question there that I'd like for you to answer. I'm going to give it a second and just we'll do this up here. And then um, there's a simple question because did you know that Jesus got annoyed? Yes. Do you guys know that? Yeah, if you, thank you, Mark. Like if you, if you read the Bible, um, like how many of you guys get annoyed? <laughs> yeah. So just in those moments, be like, hey, Jesus got annoyed too. So this happens, all right? And so what annoyed Jesus the most? I want, and let's see what you guys kind of feel about this. All right, religious well, hate, self-righteousness, lack of trust, dishonoring women. Like, these are all true, right? And these are all things that annoyed Jesus. You've got um, jealousy, unforgiveness, um, lack of sympathy, disbelief, betrayal. Um, the Pharisees, yes, like, uh, those are true. Self-centeredness, yep. Legalism, yep. Blasphemy did lukewarmness we're actually going to talk about that today and then uh turning your back like um forgetting the poor not caring for the poor all these things taxes sure um <laughs> like that uh yeah this wasn't like a personal annoyance as well but like the um greed like pride hate like all these different things right these are all like they're all like good right they're all good the, and i love the one that is kind of coming to the top there as you see it's getting bigger and bigger because that is the reality of what annoyed Jesus the most was, was hypocrisy or inconsistency, okay? Um, an inconsistent um, way that people believed and acted and that they said they, they were followers of him. Um, the lack of consistency is, is what got him. And so there's a second question uh, we had for you there, and we have that too, right, um, that I wanted you to do um, just so we could uh, pull that really quick. Um, is there a second one? Okay. Um, there's a second one that um, it's a multiple choice, all right? And the question was simply because if inconsistency is something that annoyed Jesus the most, um, then there's a second question there that was uh, how would you rate your uh, consistency, right? So um, your first choice, are you guys getting that on the second one? No, not yet. If it's not there, I'll just have you raise your hands for the sake of... <laughs> Just kidding, I wouldn't do that. Because um, like, you guys would be like very embarrassed when that, and it's like, oh, that's me, right? Um, so here we go. How would you rate your own consistency with Jesus? All right. Option one is one to three, four to six, seven to nine, ten, you're a liar. So don't do that. And uh, so it's important, I think, like even in our own faith of like, understanding some realities of what we begin to to see um you know you see the the one to three and, and this isn't a way that I, I don't want you to take this as like a man jesus is just annoyed at me and i want you to take it that way i i want you to to be honest and see like where we're at so um other than the two people that <laughs> don't know the truth of their savior <clears throat> We've got some mature, like, seven to nine folks. Or, and then, you know, the bulk of us, right, 
or in this one to three, four to six, and that might rotate with certain elements of your faith too, right? And you might be more consistent in some things than in others. But um, I want us to see this because one, um, if you are inconsistent in another in an area of your life, I want you to know you're not alone. And um, in that we all have areas of our life where we wish we were a little more consistent. Um, so you might be being a little hard on yourselves too. Um, but inconsistency was something that really did annoy Jesus. And um, not because in a judgmental way. The reason why it annoyed, annoyed him so much was because of how much people were missing out on life. How much they were missing out on fulfillment. How much they were missing out on, on what um, he actually had for them. And so um, when you think about being consistent, um, you think about being like wholehearted towards something. All right, half-hearted people... Um, they're not great to be around. Like, you don't, you don't trust a half-hearted person. You don't trust inconsistent. Like, at work tomorrow, if someone is inconsistent and half-hearted at their job, how many guys are like, I want them on my team? Nobody, right? So sometimes we know these things practically and logically. And isn't it amazing we don't transfer that to our faith with Jesus and taking that part serious? And so we're going to be, um, when you think about wholeheartedness, I just wrote this down. Wholeheartedness is public and private devotion with consistent disciplines and priorities. Wholeheartedness is public and private devotion with consistent disciplines and priorities. Um, Jesus is going to be speaking to this church at Laodicea today, and, and um, he's most aggressive in this one. And so if you're just, this is your first one today, you're getting the most aggressive letter, maybe in the entire Bible, to a grouping of people um, and how he addresses them. Uh, but as I was thinking about some of this consistency, I was rolling through some questions um, in my head. Some of these were like just personal to me. And, um, and I thought I'd bring you in on, uh, like, the misery of sometimes what goes on in my head um, and challenge. And, um, and so I want you to, like, think some of these through. Like, I, I wrote these for, for all of us. Think about this. If we focus on the news or social media more than scripture, what is consistently shaping our thoughts? Right. Like, so it's like, all right, man, if I were to do a time audit... What's consistently shaping my thoughts? Or how about this one? If we consistently get up earlier for golf, that's me. Hunting, not me. Uh, working out, a show, coffee with friends. I mean, you name it, right? If you're consistently able to do that, but won't make the same commitment to a church community, what does that say about your priorities? If you will consistently drive your kid to an extra practice, a study group, um, but won't do a Bible study or a youth events, what is that showing them is most important? If we consistently spend thousands on vacations, this one was a hard one. Um, if we consistently spend thousands on vacations, but not even hundreds in generosity with your fellow believers, what is shaping our bank accounts? I love a good vacation, y'all. Eileen Bougie, I admit that. Um, everyone loves to travel with me, all right? Um, but when you hit pause for a second, and it's like, man, if my vacation budget outweighs my giving budget, there's probably a problem there. If we are consistently more passionate about an artist on Spotify than singing to Jesus, is there a problem with our worship? Are we more passionate about that? If we consistently have time to scroll and binge, do we not have time for discipleship, community, and serving? This is fun, right, guys? If we consistently spend time in silence and so can't consistently spend time in silence and solitude and are unable to rest weekly, 
do we rely on ourselves more than God? Last one. If you were to do a passion, priority, and discipline audit around your time, money, sexuality, spirituality, political, social media, communal engagement, what kingdom consistently has your heart and attention? So consistency matters. Um, Jesus is going to speak directly into this, to this church of believers. Again, all these letters that we've been going through, and we're going to get into the fun imagery starting next week, but all these letters that we're going through are written to believers, okay? Two people, Jesus like, this is my church. And, and two people that uh, would claim Christianity. You know, so often, you know, you've heard me say this before of like, hey, uh, excuses are for losers, right? I've told you that before. And um, that was something that was said to me a long time ago. And, um, and, and the premise of that is, I think the more mature you are, you understand the difference between a reason and an excuse. There are reasons for things in life. But man, your trustworthiness, your freedom, uh, your, um, your influence, your impact, like, man, is, is, is on the other side of consistency. Um, but when we keep making excuses and we stay inconsistent with all this stuff, man, we diminish what God wants to do in our lives. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. It just means that you won't have any impact or influence in your life. And so when you think about it, like, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, um, how many guys ever think about your funeral? That's okay. It doesn't make you morbid. Um, it makes you probably a little older. Um, but like the, sometimes I think about my funeral and, um, and I, ha I think I'm going to live to 100, but that's whatever. But like when um, the day of my funeral, I, I think about like, what are people going to say about my life? And I think about that. I'm like, I, I want to live a life that, like, people don't have to, like, try and figure out what nice things they're going to say. Uh, I want to live a life where, like, man, people are in the room because of influence and impact that I had on their lives. I want to live a life that people can talk about, man, you knew one thing for sure. Even if you didn't know Wags well, you knew that he loved Jesus. And, like, that's the kind of life that you want to live. But, man, you have to be consistent and you have to address some of the things that might be pulling, uh, pulling you away from it. And so we're going to head to Laodicea today. Um, this is one of the wealthiest cities that, uh, in Rome. Um, they were so wealthy, they didn't need any help from Rome. Like if they needed to rebuild something, all the other cities had to like go to the government and be like, hey, could you provide help for us? They were so wealthy, um, they did not need any um, help at all. They were this big textile um, city, and one of the things that they were known for was their black wool. So they had these sheep like this, and, um, and so they would have this black wool that would only uh, be able to get from uh, Laodicea. And uh, I want you to, to remember this part um, uh, because it's going to come up here in just a second with what Jesus says to them. And so in this, uh, to, the, to this church, he, they had this uh, incredible wealth. They were a part of it. And um, so people, it was like a fashion city. So you think about like a Paris or a New York or whatever. And, uh, and so their, their wool was like super expensive. So they were incredibly wealthy. They had uh, a bunch of, if you think in, in our kind of time frame now, it's like a bunch of like Bill Gates type people like lived in that city. Um, huge homes, huge, uh, I mean, everywhere you went, they just saw like privilege and wealth all around them. And you know how like right now you drive, like we live in like a very wealthy city as a whole. And so you kind of drive around different, different areas, and you're like, man, like, there's a lot of money in, in Richmond, right? Well, well, it's the same kind of, like, 
kind of scenario there in Laodicea. They also had something really interesting that I want you to remember too because you're going to see something here in the letter. Um, they were known to have this uh, eye balm or eye ointment that could only be found in Laodicea. Um, and it would help with any kind of ocular issues, uh, in particular with if someone was becoming uh, more blind or have cataracts or something like that. They, were, um, they would have to go to Laodicea to get this special ointment for uh, their eyes. And so, um, again, all this stuff is going to play into uh, the letter. They were incredibly self-sufficient. How many of you guys pride yourself on being self-sufficient? Right? It's okay. I'm not, like, I do, like, um, like, I don't need anyone's help. Like, I can do this. I can do this. I can do it. Right? They were incredibly self-sufficient, um, which can be a good thing uh, for us personally. Is it a good thing with Jesus? No. The reason why it's not a good thing with Jesus is because when we're so self-sufficient with Jesus, we will diminish our need for him. And then we become uh, inconsistent. And so and what we're going to see with these folks in Laodicea is they had enough to be Christian, but not enough to make a difference. And so um, Jesus speaks verily, uh, he's annoyed by this. And so let's go to Revelation chapter 3. It says this, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen. That's interesting. The faithful and true witness, and then the ruler of God's creation. All right, so uh, right here, here's, again, I like to pause with these uh, these phrases because these aren't here by accident. And so um, when you guys pray, what do you say at the end of a prayer? Good job, right? Um, and all you're saying is, let it be so, or it is true, or so be it, all right? So that's what you're saying. So what they're saying here is like, Jesus is the truth. That Jesus, like, let it be so, or so be it. Like, this is the, this is the one. Jesus is the one. Again, these phrases that John keeps using are very exclusive phrases. Um, they were sometimes used for uh, Greco-Roman gods, and he keeps associating them with Jesus and setting them apart. And then he says the faithful and true witness is a legal term for just a covenant. What, what's another word for a covenant? Anyone know? A promise, right? That um, it's a forever promise. Like you can be committed to something, but there's a difference between committed and covenant. All right, commitment is like, so like when uh, you're in a relationship and you're committed to one another, it's like, it sounds like it's good, um, and you can be in a committed relationship, but you can break a commitment pretty easy. Um, and then, but a covenant, it, it raises something. This is why, um, you know, like when people uh, live together um, before marriage, um, divorce rates almost double. Um, actually, rates of marriage at all right now are plummeting um, as, they, as they live together. And the commitment, they think, is there, but they're, but they're not really married. And so divorce rates actually go higher, and then once they get married again, it, it triples. So, um, but but the, it goes higher. Now, it doesn't mean you can't, like, redeem that and everything else and, 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 and move into a good marriage. But, but it has to focus on the, the covenant part. Like, that's like this grounding element of, of what marriage is supposed to be. And so we see, like, oh, through Jesus, there's this true witness. There's this covenant that he makes uh, with us. And then it says the ruler of God's creation. The Bible says this at, at a few different occasions that Jesus was at creation. And I know it sounds like odd, but it is what the Bible says, that Jesus was at creation. So, so we're starting to see, like, oh, he is presenting, John's presenting Jesus as the one, the truth, the that let it be so to this covenant relationship to the God of all creation, the ruler of all creation. And so it's a significant um, title, and there are huge claims. And it continues on in verse 15. He says this, I know your deeds. 
This is said in every single one of the letters. I know your deeds, meaning that he is watching. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are, what's this word? Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to do what? You out of my mouth. That word actually means vomit or gag. I had a thought of everyone doing like a gagging motion, but then it, someone like, if that made someone vomit, then it says something's like a chain reaction of vomiting. So I thought better of it. But there's this phrasing. So if you, if you grew up with this, um, if, if you're familiar with this passage at all, um, actually someone put lukewarm um, up there. And, and sometimes this, this passage might have been explained to you that, um, hey, I, would, I want you hot, but if you're not hot, I'd, I'd rather have you just cold and distant. I don't want you in the middle at all, right, in the middle at all. That's not what this means, okay? It's not what this um, passage is actually talking about. Um, I want to show you this. Laodicea um, had water issues, okay? And so the, the river that actually ran near the city, they didn't provide a, enough water, and, and so they had to do these, like, big aqueducts. So one was from Heropolis, and the other was from Colossae. So they would have these big aqueducts that would, uh, would, would run down. Um, in Heropolis, they had hot springs. And so uh, the water had, uh, was incredibly hot and had all these, like, healing minerals in there. And so what ended up happening is, is, is if you get the hot water um, from it, um, uh, there were healing properties to it, to the water. And so uh, when it got, finally got to Laodicea, um, it would be like, oh, these are healing prop- properties used sometimes for medicine, um, or they would bathe with it um, as cleaning, but it was used for healing. So that was the hot part, okay? Um, if you didn't get it when it was hot and it got lukewarm, the minerals would begin to calcify, and if you tried to drink the water, you would immediately throw up. And so it's this kind of, it's like, oh, they would just vomit if it was lukewarm because it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. Colossae had this big mountain where they get this fresh cold water from, some of the best water in the region. And it was this refreshing and nourishing water that they would get um, if you got it when it was cold. If it got to lukewarm, it would start to, um, there were parts of the water that start would happen with the molecules, there's a big, big scientific explanation to it. But when, when uh, it would get lukewarm, it would cause people to gag or vomit. And so um, what Jesus is actually saying is, to the life of a Christian, you're either, well, ideally, you are hot and cold, meaning you are healing, you are nourishing, and you are refreshing. So it's like, you're supposed to be, like, even if you're not hot and healing, like, you should be cold, because you're supposed to be refreshing to the people around you. And so, um, think of it this way. The life of a Christian should be healing, refreshing, and nourishing to the people around them, okay? So, if you're not that, Jesus is annoyed by it. His church wasn't that. They were self-sufficient. They were so wealthy. They were so privileged. And, and it's like, man, if, you, if you're not hot or cold, and ideally you're hot and cold, you're, you're refreshing, you're nourishing, you're, you're healing to the world around. If you're not that, it makes Jesus want to vomit. And how does that happen? There are inconsistencies. They're moving away from all the things that bring us back to him. You see, Jesus kept pointing back to what it looks like to be healing and refreshing and nourishing because our roles here are to build the kingdom of God here on this earth. And so a lot of times, even when people talk about revelation, like, yeah, and then we're going to go to heaven, and then we're going to go to heaven, and then we're going to go to heaven. And first of all, it never says we're going to heaven. It says there's going to be new heavens and a new earth here, but that's a few weeks. But there's that part of it. 
But the other point is like, no, no, no. What Revelation says and what the entire Bible says is like, God's people make a difference on this earth. And we build God's kingdom here on this earth. We're supposed to be healing and nourishing and refreshing to the city uh, around us. And to be lukewarm should have no place in our system. To be inconsistent, no place in our system. We should want to vomit that out too. In verse 17, he continues on. He says this. You see, or you say, I am rich. And all he's saying is this. Man, you've, you know you've got privilege. You know you've got wealth. The majority of the people in this room, uh, you are privileged and you have wealth. Not everybody. The majority of people in our church are privileged and have wealth. Compared to the world, 99.9% of the people in this room are privileged and have wealth. But in our city, most of the people in this room are privileged and have wealth. He says, I have acquired wealth and do, and do not need a thing. Again, this is a self-sufficiency. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And what color clothes? What color did I tell you that they were known for? So what he's doing here, he's like, man, see all of your black clothes that you wear around here? And you sell to everyone, and you think, man, I got wealth. Like, we got all that we need. It's like, you, you don't need to buy that stuff because you need to buy from me. What you think is making you wealthy isn't actually making you wealthy. It's making you poor and pitiful and shameful and naked. He says, so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. You know how you guys are actually known for this eye ointment that everyone from around the Roman Empire comes to you? You're actually blind, and the thing that you have will never cure that. He's like, man, you can only buy from me. You can only get this clothing from me. And he's changing everything. He's talking about their wealth and their, you know, and how they view it. I mean, think about this. True wealth is measured by our devotion to God. True wealth is measured by our devotion to God. You know, Jesus teaches that throughout all of his teachings, Jesus talks about wealth, 25% of his teachings, and uh, he talks about wealth in a way, it's like wealth isn't bad. Like, the, wealth is a, like an immoral, it's not, a, it's not an immoral thing, it's amoral. It's like wealth can be incredibly good, but wealth isn't a sign of a blessing. See, what Jesus talks about wealth, he's like, man, if you have wealth, your responsibility and your, what you have to be accountable is to be a blessing. It's not being like, oh, look at all this money I'm making. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. It's, for Jesus, it's like, look at all this money. Be a blessing, be a blessing, be a blessing, be a blessing. It doesn't mean that you can't have nice things. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean you can't drive a nice car or have a nice house. I'm just saying, like, he's like, no, you be a blessing, you be a blessing, you be a blessing. Your life should be centered on the reality of generosity. And so he's like, man, if not, I want to spit that kind of mindset out of my mouth. Like, you, you're actually uh, blind in all of this. That's why we talk about, you know, when we talk about the share offering and being consistent givers and stuff like that. We have an opportunity in our church to make this massive difference. Because, again, primarily everyone in this room is people of privilege with wealth to some degree. And it's like, man, if we orient our lives around generosity, it's like the difference we can make in this community is incredible. Verse 19 Continues and says, those who, I'm, who I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they uh, with me. Um, how many of you guys would like a meal with Jesus? He's literally offering up intimacy. And what's interesting, we think, oh, yes, now I'm going to let Jesus into my home. Here's, here's, it's not actually what this verse is saying. The verse, actually, the way it talks about it is like the owners come to their own home. So imagine this. You, uh, uh, you, I come home to my house, and you're in my house. And I don't know you're in my house, but you're eating my food, you're watching TV, you're making it a mess, and everything. And you see me come to the door, and it's unexpected, and I knock on the door. And you're going to be like, oh, it's a mess in here, blah, 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 right? And it's like, I have the right to come in my home, correct? But you are preventing me from doing so. It's the same idea. Jesus is like, you're not inviting me into your home. This is my home. When are you going to realize that? He's like, I'm here. I want to eat with you. I want to like, have intimacy with you. Uh, but it's because of your lack of discipline. It's because of your inconsistency. It's because uh, you're the narrative that you're believing. Because of your self-sufficiency when it comes to your faith. It's because of these things that you don't see it. You don't see it, but I'm, but I'm here and I'm waiting for you. And I'm, and I'm just wondering... Will you let me in? Will you let me speak into your life? Continues on, verse 21. To the one who is victorious, it says this in every single one of the letters, right? To the one who is uh, victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to uh, the churches. I love this part of the passage, and Laura, you can come up. Because this is about, like, mindset. And we're talking about, like, inconsistencies and, and, and engaging the, the reality of Jesus and, and hot and cold and everything. Our mindset deeply matters. Our mindset needs to be consistent with the victory of Jesus. So when you sing a song like the story I'll tell and stuff like that, it's like, my mindset is not about despair and suffering. My mindset's not about my inconsistency. My mindset is about the victory of Jesus. See, what he's saying here, we don't get it uh, um, as well as like a Greco-Roman person would have gotten back then. But when he says, I'm giving you a chance to sit on the throne. Um, this was called, uh, the double throne was called the Basilium. And it, and it looked like this on the coins. They always had it on the coins. So to the right, you'll, you'll see this. And what they would have on the coins is they would have, in this one, it's Augusta and Agrippa. And they would have the king of that time. And then they would have the successor. It was known as the Basilium. And so what Jesus is saying is pretty incredible when you, like, take a step back. He's, like, he's speaking to their language. But he's saying this, like, man, I, I want you to be part of the kingdom. I want you to take your place where you belong. You aren't the king, like, Jesus is king. But you're invited to the throne. He looks at his church, and he's like, you guys are supposed to be my successor. You ever thought about that? Like, he's like, man, you're, you're supposed to show people what the kingdom of God is like. He actually said this in John 14, 12. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works that I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He's like, man, you guys are supposed to be my successor. Not just inconsistently consuming everything, but you're supposed to be my successor. Take your place. 
when we're inconsistent, we don't take our place. When we just kind of be self-sufficient, do our own thing, do our own habits, whatever. We just kind of go our own way. And Jesus is like, that makes me want to vomit. Here's the beauty of this. Like, you might be thinking to yourself, I've got, um, I've got a hobby that I do that takes up all of my time, right? And you don't realize, man, that hobby that you do has actually become your God. It's what you worship. Or, man, I've been so inconsistent. Um, it's like, man, you, you realize, man, I've got all these other little gods in my life that have chipped away at everything. Chipped away at everything. And at the end of the day, I, I'm like, Man, my life doesn't actually have, like, real eternal impact. It might have temporary impact because you're a nice person, but it doesn't have, like, real impact. The way I use my finances really only benefits me or whatever. And you realize, hmm, this is the exact life God doesn't want for me. He wants something so much greater for your life. The beauty of this passage, the beauty of it, like, this is the harshest and... For ranking churches, these are the worst of the Christians. Yet, how beautiful is this? Jesus is like, I'm here at the door, just knocking and waiting. I'll give you grace. I've got forgiveness coming your way. Just are you willing to lead that kind of life? Unless you bow your heads. I'm just going to take a minute here. Before I dismiss you guys. What would Jesus say about your consistency and wholeheartedness? I want you to just take that in. What would Jesus say about your consistency and wholeheartedness? I just want you to think here for a second. And he's standing at the door, wanting to eat, have intimacy with you, so that you can take your rightful place, fulfilling life, a free life, purpose-driven life. God, this morning, um, as we just ponder our lives, for some folks in the room, um, we once ate at the same table with you, but we pushed you out. God would, um, maybe today's the day that we say, oh, I need to let you back in. For others in this room, um, we're just realizing our lack of discipline and realizing prioritize the wrong things in our lives. And God, that we would be deeply convicted of what it means to be consistent with you. To be refreshing and nourishing and healing to the world around us. And God, there are some folks in this room that don't know you at all distance themselves from you in such a way and um, come in here this morning realizing that at the end of the day 
there's not an eternal element to their life and their current life doesn't answer problems of suffering and pain and healing and fulfillment. It's all temporary. And so, God, I pray that they would know your grace, that they would know that what you desire for their life is real hope, real freedom, and to be connected in a way that um, no earthly thing will ever come close to giving them. Because you are the amen, you are the true witness, you're the God of all creation. And so God, I pray that um, we would be consistent, but we won't be perfect. I just pray that we would want to be consistent to follow after you. And we just, to you in your name we pray, everyone said, amen. amen.